Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new series of DNVGL Talks Energy. Our guest today is Remy Eriksson, DNVGL's Group President and CEO. Welcome, Remy. Thank you so much, Matthias. Remy, we want to talk about DNVGL's energy transition outlook today. But before we do this, uh, it would be great if you could elaborate a bit on your impressive career in the industry. And especially, I'm curious what it means if you call yourself a technology optimist. Well, yeah, I can do that. I've been with DMGL for almost 27 years, uh, worked uh, within the maritime industry, the oil and gas and the renewables industry. Uh, had uh, a few years living abroad outside Norway, I had four years in, in Houston in the US, and I had uh, almost three years here in Singapore. So I've had uh, the pleasure to to live in this beautiful country. And uh, I'm also a, a part of the executive committee of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. There are around 15 directors on the executive committee, and uh, I've been that for the third year now. So uh, that's uh, also really inspiring uh, part of my work to do that. Uh, technology optimist, yes, I'm a technology optimist. And uh, with that, I mean uh, that I believe a lot of the problems that we have uh, around us Uh, can be solved by technology. And uh, I see, if you look back and uh, and see how uh, much technology have changed our lives and the way we do business, uh, I think we are only at the start of what technology can do for, for the planet and for humankind. DNVGL has just released the third edition of the Energy Transition Outlook. And there are many different forecasts and scenarios out there already. Why do you believe it is important to create our own outlook? That's a, that's a good question. And uh, when we decided on this, we didn't want to add to the pile of scenarios. We wanted to create a forecast, meaning what is the likely future that we see ahead of us when it comes to the future of energy. And so we decided some three years ago, actually, to produce our own uh, forecast, not a scenario, meaning we think this is the likely way forward. We need it as part of our own planning for the future. And uh, we uh, also need it to have good conversations with our customers. And uh, when I say it's a forecast, it means that it's a technology-heavy, policy-light uh, forecast of the future. So it means when technology do the job with uh, some policy intervention, this is the forecast that we believe it will be in the future. Uh, of course, with more policy into uh, the systems, of course, uh, the forecast could be different. But it's a technology-driven forecast mainly. We are also uh, located in so many parts of the world. We are opera have operations in, in 100 countries. We work in so many different industries from oil and gas, renewables, the grids, energy efficiency and shipping. So we also feel we have a good basis for understanding what technologies are being implemented today. What are the research and innovation activities going on in different industries, uh, which helps us in building our view on the future. 
Right, and I understand uh, the ETO is also one of DNVGL's most successful publication in terms of downloads. So this is great to see the uh, the interest. But I would like to hear about the highlights you, you are finding in that report. What are the key highlights when we are looking at the energy transition looking forward? Well, the key highlights is that we have a fast transition uh, unfolding within the time span of one single generation, so 30 years. Uh, when I say fast, it means that the uh, energy mix will move from 80-20 fossil, non-fossil fuels today to roughly 50-50 split by 2050. So that's fast, but it's not really fast enough for Paris, meaning in terms of meeting the goals and ambitions of the Paris Agreement. So uh, uh, it's both fast and slow in, in that sense, but uh, going from 80-20 to 50-50 is rather fast. We have the technologies, that's the good news. We think what is needed is wider and deeper policies to help accelerate the technologies that is already there. We don't think this will be solved by a breakthrough revolution of a new technology. It's scaling of technologies that already exists today. We also think it's affordable, uh, this transition, meaning that we will use a lower percentage of the GDP in 2050 than we do today. So we think with policy action, uh, we can actually meet the ambitions of the Paris Agreement with current technologies scaled faster. Right, both points we may want to go a bit deeper on. I would like to start with the technology. That's a really exciting point that the technology we need for the transition is already there. But what do you think? What are the technologies which will lead the transition? Yeah, I th a key thing in this future is about uh, electrification of, of the energy system. So uh, you can say the future is electric and uh, the electrification or the electricity uh, will come mainly from renewables. So we see that about two thirds of the electricity will be generated from wind and solar PV. So that is the, the clean part of it. And the efficiency part comes from the electrification. So let me give you two examples. The electrical engine is almost four times as efficient as the combustion engine. So electrification has the efficiency uh, improvement and, and the, the advantages. If you take a light bulb, it's 50 times more efficient than a kerosene lamp. So going electric is also giving you energy efficiency at the same time. So these are two things. So solar PV and wind fueling the electricity, two thirds and, um, and energy efficiency will be key. We also think there will be a key component on gas uh, to work hand in hand with uh, variable solar PV and, and, uh, and wind. And uh, gas is a dispatchable source that can be mobilized fairly quickly to balance off the variability of this. So we think the good future is renewable. It's about energy efficiency and there will be a component of natural gas. You mentioned uh, a little earlier that uh, the fact of affordability of the mm. transition, mm. and we know that renewables is one strong pillar of this transition. If we look back, uh, renewables were often accused of being relatively expensive. Mm. So I think the report is driving uh, the, the requirement that wind should be, for example, five times as much if we have to die. What are the findings with regards to the cost of renewables. Mm, yeah. Now we expect uh, a cost of a kilowatt hour to come down significantly 
we estimate uh, the cost learning curve for wind to be in the order of 16%. With that, we mean for every doubling of deployed capacity, we will have a cost reduction of 16%. And uh, you see that for all kinds of technology, if you review the history, cost of technology is uh, reduced between 10 and 20% for every doubling of installed capacity. And that's why we have seen this uh, rapid reduction uh, in solar PV costs, in onshore wind costs, and also offshore wind costs. So this is, uh, again, a forecast based on technology and affordability. Uh, And uh, that's why we expect a 140-fold increase in offshore wind and around tenfold increase in onshore wind, which is more mature than offshore wind. So these days we hear a lot about climate change, climate emergency in the media, but we also read a lot about digitalization. So bringing those two now together, what role does digitalization play in the energy transition? Now I think it's uh, very important. It's an enabler for the transition to happen. Uh, you need uh, more advanced uh, control technologies of the grid. When you have more variability, uh, you need to shift energy and power in in time. So storage, of course, will play an important part of that. And to have a better visibility and transparency between demand and supply, you can manage the energy resources in a much better way. And digital uh, technologies will be a key enabler for this transition to happen. And without these technologies deployed, that energy transition will not happen. So it's a key enabler. Fast but not fast enough, you said earlier. And that is a bit of a sobering conclusion to this forecast. There is so much happening at a pace and scale that is extraordinary, yet we will miss the 1.5 degree target set by the Paris Agreement. How can this gap be closed? Yeah, you're right. And I also started, it's not fast enough. And with that, I mean, our forecast point to a 2.4 degree future. Uh, and again, this is with technology mainly doing its job because it's competitive and will be adopted uh, at, at a large scale. And, um, and to close the gap, uh, we need stronger policies, as I mentioned earlier. And we need more renewables. We need uh, be better at managing the uh, energy that we are already producing and uh, we need uh, for many good reasons uh, to make sure that CCS is scaled. Uh, We need it for combustion but we also need it for certain chemical processes where CO2 are emitted. So it's not only for burning fossil fuels you need CCS but you also need it for other reasons. So that's uh, the, the key elements that we can play on to close the gap. But again, the technologies there, scaling technologies, we need stronger and better policies to drive the change. Thank you, Remy. I have one last question for you. Um, What is DNVGL doing to harness the new collective focus on climate emergency to progress the energy transition? Well, one thing, of course, it's uh, to help shed some light on what the energy future look like if technology is doing the job. So it's about informing our customers and stakeholders in the industry that we are working with. And I think we have managed to fill a space that was needed. 
uh, we are owned by a foundation. Um, so I think we have a, a basis for being trusted, uh, being seen as independent, having expertise in so many different areas. So our voice has actually been uh, listened to and uh, I think already made a difference. So that's, of course, what we uh, want to contribute with. On a more practical note, of course, it's to work with uh, projects to help scale new technologies uh, or scale existing technologies uh, to uh, uh, make feasibility studies for, say, offshore wind, new solar farms, and to help expedite projects to make sure that these technologies are implemented uh, faster and at scale. So these, and uh, since we are working in many different industries, we, we have uh, the advantage that we can work on many fronts. So one important thing now is, for instance, for the maritime industry, is to deliver uh, um, a seaborne trade uh, that uh, has an emission that is uh, reduced by 50% by 2050 compared to the 2008 levels and there's of course there are many difficult choices in terms of of the fuel mix uh, so when you are building a ship today it will uh, be sailing 20 years from now so it's important that you make the right choices when it comes to fuel and energy efficiency measures on on these ships so this is one example uh, and there are many many more Thank you very much, Remy, for your insights. It's great having you to kick off the new series of DNVGL Talks Energy. And for those listening, thank you very much for listening in. That was Remy Eriksson, DNVGL's Group President and CEO. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.